Hi there, this is Philip Bailey from Artist Advocates. You're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Penny Fractions, the record industry's fake fight against streaming fraud. From Austin Stabas, conversion rates around a hit song examined. And from Hypebot, Spotify editors share top summer music trends in 2022. And summer it is, what a week it's been. But here we are, Jay. It's episode 109 of the podcast. And folks, we are so happy you are here with us. So let us relax. It's slightly cooler today. And here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay Gilbert, so nice to see you. I saw you yesterday. This has been so rare lately. Yeah. We get together for lunch periodically now. It's been just wonderful with friends from other companies, some whom we can mention, some we cannot. Yeah. Um, we had a, a really nice lunch with a friend of ours from uh, Apple Music, and we Indeed. had a really great discussion about spatial audio, um, Dolby Atmos. Um, you and I are big fans, and we've talked about this on the show quite a bit, of, of the work by people like Greg Penny and Bruce Botnick and some of these beautiful uh, spatial mixes of songs. When done right, which they do, they are breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Yes, and all the challenges around that as well with in terms of the technology and playback and how to do this and how to do that. Yes. But it's fun. It was fun to see you and fun to see our friend from Apple Music and talk about Apple Music yeah. because as we, uh, as we and it was big Apple news this week. They had a big uh, release of, of new products and it got me thinking back. You know, it's it, it you recall that being an Apple fan in early days in the in the insane excitement of the first iPhones, it was lines around the block when there would be a new phone introduced and just yeah. wall-to-wall coverage. It's not that any longer, but it's still kind of fun. And, and It is kind of fun. And you and I talked products. about yesterday over lunch uh, with our friend from Apple um, that, you know, back in the late 90s, the cover of Wired Magazine had the Apple logo and said, pray, because it was close to being you know, either out of business or being sold. And, you know, we watched... Or irrelevant. You know, exactly. And, you know, Steve Jobs came back, Candy Color IMAX. And as you mentioned, the iPhone was a game changer. And, you know, if you're a company and you have one home run 
that's amazing. Uh, they've had so many uh, home runs. And this, this announcement that they had this week, and I, I love watching them because they're so tightly produced and well shot and the, the production really value on those things is just outstanding but you it's know just really notch. yeah exactly well we'll just touch really quickly they talked about uh you know they're launching the uh iphone 14 and we won't get into all the specs and everything on, on this stuff but i thought that was interesting the i love my mm-hmm. apple watch but they have this new apple watch ultra which is kind of larger and has different features and you can go scuba diving with it and mountain climbing and it connects with satellites and all sorts of stuff. I think it might even have lasers in it or something, but that, and then of course the, uh, the AirPods pro, th- those were kind of the, the, the big takeaways the from biggies. it. Yeah. And I, I love yes, my, my AirPod pro max, you know, those are the headphones that go over your ears yes. and I got a chance to travel recently uh, for the first time with them and, you know, we've had noise reduction, you know, Bose headphones and stuff for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all great, but these are ridiculous. I mean, you hit that button and it goes silent, uh, no matter what's yeah. going on around you. And there's also this really cool feature where you hit the button and it kind of almost amplifies the outside noise. So if you're on a walk or you're doing something where you Clever. want to hear the outside yeah. things, um, and that's pretty interesting too. But uh, anyway, I, I love those uh, headphones a lot. Yeah, well, and, and you know, because uh, we, we both worked in and were involved with a lot of the consumer electronic companies when we were at, at uh, Universal back in the day. And um, Bose actually has a lot of patents on noise canceling. And so it's really hard for other companies to kind of work around those patents and, and not infringe on them. And it sounds like Apple has nailed it. Uh, Sony actually has some pretty good noise yes. canceling headphones as I've well. I've got a pair so. of those. That was my previous yeah. pair. And the Sonys are right. very good. Yeah. Very, very good. So, I mean, I st- Bose is still the one to beat, but uh, but yeah, it, it's very, very cool. So, um, much to talk about today, <laughs> and it's 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 mercifully cooler here in Southern California. Yeah, we've it's had quite the up. heat wave. It the was last, the highest the it got in my place last week was 112, and I I can't oh, remember it ever being that hot here. No, and and typically, if you know, and I grew up here. You've been here for a long time. Uh, we don't get much humidity in Southern California, which makes yeah. the heat tolerable. Yeah. But it's been humid for us. You know, not we're still not in East Coast and South humidity levels, but that made it particularly challenging. And so, uh, yeah, I'm glad we're kind of through that. Um, yeah. So much to talk. About. So you're actually heading to Nashville. You're going to Americana Fest. I'm yeah. jealous. I I love Americana Fest and. Uh, and thanks for bringing it up. I'm, I'm hosting a, a panel, moderating a panel called DIY Success with Five Guaranteed Strategies. That'll be a Thursday at the Westin. Um, mm-hmm. And it's with some friends uh, that we're doing this with. Um, during the lockdown, um, we formed an artist management collective just to kind of help each other out because there are some managers there that have bands that are filling up arenas and some that have baby bands. And, you know, we, we would have these great conversations. Sometimes we'd have guests on, um, you know, like from TikTok or whatever. And, you know, like what what's the publicist that you're using for this genre? You know, who's your booking mm-hmm. agent? Um, are you happy with the person supplying your merch? Whatever it is. And we learned a lot from each other and we became pretty close. Um, and so we, we, we're still in touch. And so we're going to do this panel together. It's uh Artist managers like Amber Beist, uh, Terry Tompkins, who's also a professor at uh, Hofstra University, uh, Sharon mm-hmm. Corbett, and uh, Stephen Foxbury. And these are some people that I I really admire and uh, 
Um, we're, we're pretty good friends and I respect their, uh, experience and it'll be a, it'll be a fun panel next week at Americana Fest. And speaking of humidity, it might be a little humid down there in Nashville. I'm just saying a little bit, just maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And we've got a new sponsor, Jay. And what a what a treat it is to uh, to talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we've been fans of Dan Runcy and Trapital uh, for your a long time, and we've talked about uh, things that he's written. We've talked about his podcast. Um, so we've brought it up quite a bit on this podcast. And now um, we're gonna we're gonna work together and collaborate a little bit. Um, so. The, Dan Runcie's Trapital podcast um, is is so amazing, and I highly recommend that you uh, check it out. A couple of recent episodes that I really enjoyed. One was titled "TikTok Wants to Take Over: Will It Succeed?" Uh, another one was "Post Malone's Agent Breaks Down the Strategy Behind His Success." So really cool, uh, really cool stuff. So this episode of Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Trapital. Uh, Trapital host Dan Runcy sits down with the best minds in music, media, and culture. You'll gain insights and lessons learned from the biggest moguls in the industry. In-depth discussions that break down recent moves, tough decisions, and plans for the future. Dan's interviewed iconic guests like Master P, Issa Rae, Rick Ross, Steve Stout, and many, many others. So listen to Trapital wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for uh, the weekly newsletter. It's, it's awesome. Yes. And you mentioned Dan sits down with some of the best minds in music, media, and culture, but he is one of the best minds because he is such a great an, uh, analyst and great writer and just a really, really uh, great resource. Again, respect, and, and super entertaining, yeah. and very huge respect. And of course, we have fantastic sponsors and we love to chat about them. Your, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by, by our friends at Bandzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. We're talking hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support for their musician from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. And Jay and I are big Apple fans, and support is something people often don't talk about but <laughs> that's one of the reasons to buy Apple products because their support is huge and Fantastic. so is Banzoogle's yeah. live support it's hugely important your morning coffee podcast listeners can go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code morning coffee all one word to get 15% off the first year of any subscription that's Banzoogle.com promo code morning coffee Yes, sir. Um, Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. Thank you, Bruce. With help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform, Bands in Town. And speaking of Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. 
Indeed. Trapital, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Big thanks. Boy, we certainly appreciate it and could not do it without y'all. And of course, I get to hang out with my good buddy, Jay Gilbert, every week when we do the podcast, and it is a treat to say the least. Uh, Jay is the co-founder of label and artist services company, Label Logic. He, as you must know by now, is the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment, and you know what? Just a handsome lad. <laughs> and this guy sitting across from me, Mike Etchart, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And Mike, there was a story in your morning coffee this week that I thought that would make you uh, giggle. Um, the, the headline, it's from BuzzFeed, and the headline is, Kids Yell Poop at Alexa and These Musicians Profit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that too. I'm oh like, my gosh! The the, that's the blurb why this business is, is so insane. Yeah, the the blurb is there are quite a few songs that will fit Alexa requests for the whole gamut of things a kindergartner might dream up: poop, diapers, dog poop, stinky butt. It's so funny that these kids, of course, they're going <laughs> to yell these things at these smart speakers, and there are musicians that are profiting from that. But uh, that brought a, a smile to my face. And the other thing this week, um, it wasn't part of your, your morning coffee, because you have to subscribe to Billboard Pro, and then you get some of these really cool emails. Um, and one of them is from our friend Glenn Peoples over at Billboard, and we've talked about this before. He does this really great weekly... Um, newsletter called the ledger yes and it comes out on fridays and i had to i had to call him this week because i I didn't quite understand um what was really going on with the stock market and you and i have talked about this a lot and i'd love to get your thoughts but one of the things that um is in your morning coffee this week is a couple of articles that that glenn wrote about how much money certain companies are making and how much money certain executives um, are making. And I thought that was really interesting. But in his um, ledger, he always lists these music stocks and how they're doing. And as I was mm-hmm. looking through it, I'll just read off a couple of these. You know, Universal uh, stock, this is year to date, is down 21%. Spotify is down almost 53%. Um, Live Nation is down over 22%. And as I was reading some of these, I thought, well, wait a second. Streaming is going like gangbusters and is growing. Touring is back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Why are these stocks you know, doing this? And so I reached out to Glenn, and he explained that it's mainly because the markets are down. And you know, the Fed raised uh, interest rates, and then those mm-hmm. share prices went south. And so I, I thought that was interesting. You and I talked about it before we hit record how well the business is doing, but it's not really ref- reflective, you know, in the stock price. In stock prices. Yeah. Isn't you know, crazy? It's, well, that's the, again, it's the, what is it? The irrational exuberance and, and just the <laughs> way that, you know, the pendulum oftentimes goes too far in one direction, then too far back in the other direction. And it does seem counterintuitive to, to, to have this conversation, which is, well, yeah, I mean, we, I've, I've, I've been to more concerts this year than I have in the last 15 years, probably, in terms of, you know, annual concerts. I've, I've been almost every week to a show. Yeah. I have subscribed to Apple Music. I subscribe to Spotify. Really? That's not enough, you know? And yet the the the, the share price is down. So it, it's it, economics, 
man, it just sometimes is counterintuitive. Right? <laughs> what was that term you used? I love it so much. Irrational exuberance. Is that what you said? It's irrational exuberance. Yeah. People get super fired up when you know, they jam stock prices irrationally high and then then they lose faith and it's irrationally low. It's just it's I have I had an economics professor in the day that said Dude, if I understood, and he was like a surfer, and he literally said that, dude, uh, <laughs> if I understood the market, I would not be standing in here talking to you people. I would be on a beach somewhere. It's like, you know, it's it's it defies rational thought sometimes. Yeah. So, so, whatever. Thank but you, Glenn, for I think Lucian Grange explaining is, that. You know, Lucian Grange will not be in a soup line anytime soon, Jay. So no, no, no worries there, just yeah. so you know. Just so you know. Yeah. Well, what do you say we jump into, you know, speaking of of, of some interesting and dense business information, oh, this first one no we're going to talk about from Penny Penny Fractions, the record industry's fake fight. That's, by the way, that's fake fight against streaming fraud. And yeah. um, I, like you, I had to read this thing a couple of times. Yeah, it's pretty dense. it's really a dense article, but it's very interesting as well. And... You know, we've, we've we've certainly touched on a lot of these things on various stories, but when presented in this, and it says it's a, you know, sometimes these articles, it says how long the read is, and it says 10 minute read. Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> this, was, this was like a half an hour read, because I had to go back and read it two and a half times. Well, I've, I've got really this thing in my Google Chrome where I can highlight articles, and that's typically yeah, what that's I do. Slick. It helps me to retain it, and then I can go back to it. And when you go back to that link, it remembers and it keeps that highlighting there. And this whole article, I mean, a lot of it is highlighted. Uh, and I had to read it a couple of times to get into some of the things that he was he was talking about. And by the way, uh, Penny Fractions, again, it's something we feature in your morning coffee, uh, the newsletter all the time, is run by David Turner. And he does such mm-hmm. a great job of analyzing the music business and, and kind of digging into what some of these stories mean. And so he's, he's really a great source uh, for that. So check out and, and subscribe to the Penny Fractions uh, newsletter. It's absolutely awesome. So, you know, he, he takes a dive into what he calls fake plays, fake artists, Ill- illicit marketing tactics, and uh, overzealous fan communities. And you and I are are big fans of kind of setting the record straight and stopping, you know, these bots and spin farms and, you know, different tactics that people use to, you know, bump up those uh, those numbers, those play counts. And, you know, we had uh, Jen Massé, you know, uh, from Spotify mm-hmm. on the podcast talking about, you know, what they're doing to sort of combat this problem. But... There's so much incentive, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into what he uh, wrote about this, but there's so much incentive to jack those numbers up with this pro rata model, and he even covers that. And listeners of the podcast, you know, they know that you know, there's a pro rata model right now where you're, you know, you're based on basically market share. And then there's the fan-powered or user-centric model, which is you know, if I listen to you know, one artist all month, they get my entire... Uh, subscription fee, and that's being you know uh, tested over at uh, SoundCloud, and Warner's involved in that as well. So, uh, what do you say we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. So he, this is going to be a, a apparently a two issue conversation, and 
you know, and he actually, uh, uh, a couple of years back, he, he did a sort of a history of manipulating YouTube video counts, which is also another thing <laughs> to consider and talk about it, all of that stuff. But, right. uh, you know, it's, it's um, and this goes back to MySpace. And apparently there's a, there was an interesting book by Jim Rogers called The Death and Life of the Music Industry in the Digital Age. And he talked about, you know, back in the MySpace, MySpace days, major labels would buy up fans to inflate the perceived popularity of artists. Now, when he says, by the way, I, when he says major labels would buy up that, I, I think, I, I wonder, or I wonder, is is there still like, like you know, in the early day or not the early days, in our era, like let's say the 90s, where you had these, these huge independent radio promotion people that the labels were using. So there was this sort of intermediary in the middle. Right. So major labels weren't necessarily paying for play. They were hiring people that would then go out and do that. And I assume that that was the case and is the case as well, that major labels aren't directly doing this, yeah. but, but there are these intermediaries that are working with them to, to sure. do that. Sure. Plausible deniability. Um, not as good as irrational exuberance, but still uh, good. Yeah, there, there are marketing companies that labels and distributors use and sometimes acquire. Um, and, you know, radio has been, you know, a hot issue for many, many years of people, you know. Decades. Yeah, paying for play or, you know, trading things for play, that sort of thing. And, you know, whenever you have a system where people are rewarded, you know, like streaming where you, you want to jack those numbers up um, for revenue, but also for clout, um, you know, I was speaking with somebody about, um, getting their numbers up because they wanted to be part of these festivals that were coming up. And some of these festival bookers, one of the first things they look at are your streaming numbers and your social footprint mm -hmm. and those types of things. So there's incentive for people to increase those. And I think what he's pointing out in this article in several ways is that there's incentive for labels um, for some labels to participate mm -hmm. in this as well, which seems a little counterintuitive to me because um, you would think that they would want to see all the legit numbers and see real engagement and real growth. But, but I get why it's valuable for them to have these uh, increased numbers. Yeah, exactly. So the article talks about a paper that was in a journal that's called Social Media and Society. And the paper was called Gaming the System? Question mark, The Politics of Algorithmic Manipulation in Digital Culture Production. And the authors were uh, Brooke Aaron Duffy, Emily Hun, and Caitlin Petrie. Um, and it makes a compelling argument on how to better understand the dynamic between platforms and alleged fraudsters and bad actters. <laughs> what? Fraudsters and bad actors in the music business? You Jay, take that back. There was, yeah, it can't be right. That can't be <laughs> right. right. Uh, but uh, as, as the authors wrote, yet platforms discourses position digital intermediary companies as disinterested judges of authenticity and virtue. Wow. Whose intervention in cases under contamination and malfeasance is necessary in order for a content meritocracy to continue to flourish on their platforms. This discursive framing implies that platforms do not have a vested interest in drawing and enforcing the line between algorithmic manipulation 
and authenticity. That's a lot of. And I looked at that paragraph. That's verbiage, a lot of stuff. Right? And I'll let you perhaps kind of break that down. Because yeah. I kept reading that and reading that. I'm like, what are they saying here? Yeah, I had to. There's a lot of great words in there, and I had to read it a few times to kind of pull out the meaning. But basically, I think they're talking about incentives at some level. You know, they talk yes. about how Spotify, for example, as we talked to Jen Mosse about, you know, they're very quick to affirm their commitment to weeding out fraud. But you'll remember, you know, the flip side is remember with title uh title was you know reportedly caught manipulating stats for artists like beyonce kanye west and rihanna who just happened to be investors in uh, the company um that's a total coincidence jane don't you imply anything different right so you know Again, you give anybody any type of system that can be gamed, and they're going to try to game it. And it's it's really a big problem, and we talk about it quite a bit you know, on, on this podcast, because they, they mention that you know, these major streaming platforms and, and some of their label counterparts, you know, are some of them will take a clear stance against fraud, you know. Um, and try to weed out illicit businesses, you know, looking to exploit their systems, you know, but the fact of reporting on fake streams often notes, you know, that these dubious streams can happen under the nose of an artist or a label. And I think that's really important to note. You know, there just isn't an economic reason for labels to push back too hard against inflated streaming numbers because it means that they can get paid more. Yes. And that's really what it gets down to. You know, it's, it's, um, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, we've talked about this so many times. There is money in them hills, and right. that's why people do it. Right. And we shouldn't be surprised that it's happening. And, you know, whether, whether it's a baby band in a garage who just uploaded their streams or uploaded their, uh, their music to the, to, a the platforms or it's major label artists and you know who want to be on the next level of a festival i mean just about everybody in that value chain and that ecosystem of music can benefit from from these sort of fraudulent activities yeah. and so when you have that big broad of a of a swath of people that can benefit you're just going to have the problems that we have yeah um exactly and you know they talk about companies as it may be. yeah they talk about companies that are not incentivized to run yes. fake numbers like uh, Google and Instagram, you know, they make most of their revenue from advertising. And so they don't want people to game their metrics. Um, they, those companies sell ad placements, uh, you know, through their feed uh, to firms that want to reach a massive audience. Um, so they fight manipulation uh, pretty strongly there. One of the things that I don't, <clears throat> well, I'll let you be the judge, you know, is it really, um, unethical or illicit for, you know, certain fan bases to ask their fans to, well, certain artists ask their fan bases to stream a song many, many times or to buy multiple copies and things like that. Um, It's kind of a gray area because they are actually buying those things and streaming those things. Um, But, you know, there have been uh, BTS was an example. The BTS Army. We had read this piece about how their fans will actually help other fans financially to purchase more things and to stream more and to watch more videos to get them a number one single or album. You know, is that yes? Is that you know sketchy? It, well, it's it's 
it, it it's sketchy-ish, I suppose, but it's it's very much a gray area. And you know what has changed to you know it's it, at least to, to my way of thinking. You know when we first got in the business, charts and things like that were really much the domain of people in the industry. People outside of the industry didn't care that much, didn't pay attention that much, and so because of social media and everything that has changed in that world. Fans can now can figure out who's doing well, and they can see lots of data that they weren't able to see before. And because artists can reach out to their fans so easily now, they can do that, yeah. and the fans will respond. So is it is it kind of shady? I don't I don't know. You know, it's I don't think it's illegal per se, but it's not. I don't know what you do to combat that. I suppose that's you know how do you how, be next if to impossible. Right. Yeah. You know, if you see that a K-pop band is going to is reaching out to their fans to buy three copies of a physical product that they've put out, should then whoever calculates a chart kind of take that into consideration? I I don't know how you do that. So I I think there's nothing we can do about that. And is it kind of deceiving? It, It is it is not in the spirit of what a chart should be or what some sort of document of performance should be yet it's it's going to be here for the foreseeable future yeah so we're stuck yeah i've been reading a lot about how this new streaming world really promotes more of the song and less about the artist uh, on a lot of different levels and how some people in that playlist um ecosystem they don't even know who the artist is sometimes, you know, because remember there was that big push years ago uh, when radio was king before, you know, downloads and streaming. Um, and there's some that would say that radio is still king, but uh, about back announcing, you know, like saying this is the song, you know, that we're playing. Um, there's a paper uh, titled Engineering Culture, Logics of Optimization in Music games and apps by jeremy wade morris robert prey and david nyborg and it points out that there's this uh, british band called uh, the pocket gods and they released an album in 2019 that featured 30 second tracks explicitly to draw attention to the streaming monetization system so as you probably know you have to you know stream 30 seconds in order for that to be counted as a play and that work yep. shined a light on the absurdist limits of not only Spotify streaming system but also uh, the agreed upon monetization regime of the major labels you know that 30 second play and so they didn't make those songs any longer than 30 seconds they were all 30 seconds and there are all sorts of ways you and I talk about how people are um saying that there's in their title of their song, you know, this is Jay Gilbert and it's featuring Beyonce. And by the time somebody finds out and tracks that down, I've got a hundred thousand plays you know, on this ridiculous yep. thing or people, you know, trying to have, you know, 200 songs in, in one album and they're, you know, short little bite-sized chunks. Like he's talking about, you know, you give someone, you know, uh, a system and they're going to try to game it. Right. And so these are just Absolutely. some of the ways, um, that, uh, that people are doing it. Yeah. It's a really good read and it's a dense, dense read, but, um, you know, and it is, as we kind of started at the beginning of the article talking about it, you know, that we're talking, this, this is going way back to the early days of digital platforms. And this is not something that is just recently happening. So we will continue to see, we'll continue to see people that while not necessarily breaking the rules are right, skirting the rules or taking advantage of the rules, like the 30 second tracks, you know, it's like, well, th- those are the rules. If you don't like the rules, change them. Right. Um, 
and it, you know, we're changing the system. So it is just one of the many things that we kind of have to pay attention to. And yet it's just, can't we just talk about music or listen to music, you know? Um, but this is, this is the world we live in now. It is. And some fascinating, the, the links to the article, um, uh, are really, really deep and dense and interesting as well. The, there's a paper that that links captivating algorithms, recommender systems as traps. Really fascinating. Oh yeah, I mean, really good. Um, talking about you know again questioning the value of recommendations. Um, fascinating stuff, and and something you should be aware of if you're working with artists or you are an artist yourself. But yeah, you know, it's it, all of this stuff is getting so far away from songs that make us cry yeah Um, but this (laughs) is the world we live in yeah super great uh great job there um by uh david turner yes exactly and this this next article is kind of a a page from a similar book basically this is from um do you say it uh, it, um austin staubus is that how you said or staubus yeah i think that's right Stop us. Okay, let's go with that. Austin, if we messed it up, we are super sorry. Yes. Um, this is from, uh, from his website, and it's uh, conversion rates around a hit song examined. Mm. And uh, we're talking about an, an artist named Arizona Zervas. I think that's the correct uh, accent on that. He had a song back in 2019 called Roxanne. And I couldn't, I, mean, I, remember, the, I, I remember that it existed, but I couldn't remember the song. So I went back and looked and listened. I'm like, oh yeah, I certainly remember that song. Yeah. We'll play just a second of it here. But that's that year. That came out in 2019, um, and I had a high school senior that year, so I heard that song ad nauseum. And it's a great song, actually. Yeah. Having said that, I really like the song. Um, but this is talking about that single, which is, I said, as I mentioned, dropped in 2019. Uh, it remains uh, as the singles. It's the biggest release from from that artist, Arizona Zervas. Uh, distributed independently, uh, and uh, it led to a record deal with Columbia in November of 2019, uh, which Billboard mentioned. Um, And needless to say, there was a bidding war. Um, Before it was added to today's top hits, the playlist, it was seeing 650,000 to a million streams a day solely from the attention it was generating through TikTok. Yeah. Not surprising. But to date, it has accumulated 1 billion, almost 300 million streams. But the question is, what does a hit song actually deliver in terms of conversion rates from streams to followers beyond an eight-figure check? So does it impact uh, picking up followers? And this is something you've talked about all the time, which is... And one of the kind of telltale things sometimes when you can tell people when you can see people are gaming the system is you've got all these streams but very few followers, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's it's amazing sometimes that you can get millions and in this case you know over a billion streams uh, on a track mm-hmm. and it's driven primarily from TikTok and as we've discussed on on this show a lot uh, that direct line of people who you know go from TikTok to Spotify. 
and it certainly shows here. So Arizona currently has 683,000 or so followers on Spotify. The song Roxanne generated 1.3 billion streams and continues to grow. And he says when you do the math, that, and it looks like that's a half of a percent, give or take, that's a half a percent mm-hmm. conversion rate uh, from streams to followers, streams to followers uh, on his artist profile. So, you know, an artist who had a hit song that was on the radio that led to a record deal with Columbia saw less than a 1% conversion rate. Um, And he claims that this is surprisingly low, uh, you know, streams to followers. And it says less about the artist and more about the rise of content being more important than the creator. We just talked about that. Uh, Tatiana uh, Sirisano, who we've talked about a lot from Midia. Um, in New York, she makes this exact argument in a piece she wrote called What Happens When Content Supersedes the Creator, which every independent team and artist should eternalize. Right. Now, and, and I would say, so 1%, obviously uh, less than a 1% conversion rate. What would you, ex- if, I, if, if, I, if I didn't show you this article, and you were to take a wild guess with somebody who had a 1.3 billion streams, what would you think would be a respectable conversion rate? Like 10%, 15%? Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So to have a half a percent, <laughs> that's pretty staggering. I mean, it's, but, but, but I will sort of kind of, you know, admit guilt, which is, you know, I mean, I'm, as we've talked about, I'm a huge fan of Shazam, and I Shazam a bunch of tunes every day, and they go into an Apple uh, Music folder for my Shazams, and I, I'm going to take a wild guess and say 65% of those songs that I love and have, I've, I catch myself shazamming, shazamming them twice or three times because I forget <laughs> that I've already done it. Yeah. Um, I don't know who those artists are. I just know the song. And that, and you know, we grew up <laughs> as artist development people and artists, and so it's like for me, who came from the business and and really cares about artists, to not really pay attention to sixty five percent of my Shazam playlist because their artists are. It was maybe just a song I fell in love with. Yeah, um, it's kind of staggering. So so I, and it's easy for me to kind of sit here and kind of smirk at this, but to be honest, that is the behavior that I find myself doing now, which I think is that's just common. really listening to... Yeah, yeah, I think that's the new music industry is that, first of all, nobody has an attention span uh, anymore. Yep. And secondarily to that, we're hearing these playlists that aren't back announced and we're, we're shazamming things, as you mentioned. Um, that's why we always say a playlist is not a marketing plan. And that's why yeah. as an artist, manager, label, distributor, you have to go... Uh, and market for that engagement and to own that fan because it's so easy today and you just um, showed an example of it. It's so easy to just listen to music and then not get engaged with it, even good music. And so that's what this streaming world is one small part of that. You have to grab those fans. It's super interesting. Right. And as Tatiana pointed out in this piece, or in the piece that that uh, that she wrote, what happens when music content uh, when content supersedes the creator? Mm-hmm. She advances the argument that streaming has also contributed to passive music listening, and songs becoming more important than artists. These is. days, it is common for a consumer to enjoy song playlists without knowing much about the underlying artist, and in fact, thirty percent 
of global consumers say their music fandom revolves around specific songs rather than specific artists. And in our days of working at the label, you know, you would meet just people that weren't in the music business um, and, and you'd maybe be at a cocktail party or at a family gathering and they'd say, you know, don't you want the artists you're working with to have like a hit single? And my response would be, no, I want them to not fall in love with the song. I want them to fall in love with an artist because that, yes. that, that love will, will, will carry through songs and albums That's where maybe right. they weren't exactly, yeah. And so, that draws you in. Yeah. Yes. And so when we talk about artist development in the year 2022, this is an exponentially di- more difficult challenge yeah. based on the behavior that these things are, are kind of, I would say, forcing us into. Yeah. But the, the behavior that is promoted by the way music is delivered these days. Yeah, that's why this article is so important. There's a couple of lines in here that I highlighted. One is, Spotify and Apple Music shouldn't be viewed as places where artists can generate followers or fans their platforms to break a song. The sooner artists realize this, the better off they'll be. And Tatiana had a tweet that they uh, published here where she said, perhaps dangerously, content is becoming more important than its creator. Even the viral TikTok video, it's a struggle to get viewers to convert to followers because following people isn't the point. Reminds me of how streaming has contributed to making songs greater than artists. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we, of course, talk a lot about vinyl. And that's, that's why uh, the, the, the next generation of vinyl consumers, what's, what I find good about that, of course, is the move away. You know, it's just vinyl by sort of design makes it so it's really hard to not to, to passively listen on vinyl. That's you right. You have to actively listen on vinyl. And so I think that is one of the great things about vinyl when we talk about artist development and, and, and artists creating fans that are not based on, or they're not fans because of single songs, but because of their entire output of, of a body of work. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, from an artist, artist development standpoint, this is, this is depressing. <laughs> well, I, true. I think, and yet and here I am, yeah. you know, exhibiting the same habits. Well, I think you're absolutely right, you know, on that vinyl uh, point, I find myself buying my favorite albums. Well, oh, during the lockdown, I, I bought my all-time favorite albums again on vinyl, so I had uh, clean versions and all of that. But now, when I fall in love with a new album, um, I'll I'll buy it on vinyl, and it's it is such a different listening experience. And you know, a lot of times there's booklets or liner notes, and it's that old romantic thing. About six months ago, or so, uh, Ghost put out their new album, Impera, and anybody who's mm-hmm. been around me in the last six months has heard me rave about the album by Ghost, uh, Impera. comes with this amazing uh, art booklet inside, and uh, it's just a whole different experience. You know, you remember when you were in high school and you're reading those booklets that came inside of them or reading the liner notes to see who wrote what song or whatever. And, you know, at, what is it, 22 minutes aside or whatever it is, you're going to have to stay pretty close uh, and flip that thing mm-hmm. uh, at some point. So it it is definitely a different experience than, you know, streaming a playlist. But just like you, if I'm listening to a playlist, you know, while I'm working and a song pops up, I mean, that's how I discovered Ghost. A song was in a playlist and, and I went, what, what is that? And, you know, that is music discovery for me. But as they're saying in some of these pieces, that's not really 
the common way that people are discovering uh, music per se. And if they do, they're, they're discovering a song that they're adding to a collection and not necessarily uh, falling in love with a new band or artist. We want them to fall in love with that artist that we're working with, without a doubt. So, you know, again, wonderful piece. Uh, It's just, it's the reality of the way the business is now. And we all have to work within that. But um, conversions are hard. And, you know, we also talked about how how TikTok is becoming such uh, an important component, sometimes in A&R decisions. Mm -hmm. But you have to, you know, but certainly there are, conversions that are enormous and and people people make the leap um but there's also lots of lots and lots that do not make that leap from liking the song to liking the artist and yeah. so it's sort of a cautionary tale i think if you're involved yeah. in yeah and one of the favorite that. things before we hit record you and i were talking about you know for a couple of older knuckleheads, we still love discovering new music. And that's not common with uh, adults. Usually you, you reach an age, I think it's like 30 years old, where you really drastically reduce uh, the, you know, that artist discovery. Um, but, you know, I can't wait to discover new things. I mean, just like we were talking about in the last six months, you know, I, I, I love that ghost album Impera. Um, I discovered a band called young Guns silver Fox, which is absolutely Mm. amazing. You know, there, there are these artist development things. And some of these bands have been around a while as will page. It's not said, it's not always about discovery. It's about rediscovery uh, of things that maybe you were in love with once and you're reminded of that. But for me, if I've never heard it before, you know, it's, it's new to me. <laughs> right? right. So yes. streaming can be very powerful in, in music discovery, but on the whole, it's not, it's, it's really more about the song and less about the artist. Well, and I think just for my own personal interest, I mean, I, I realize I really should go back and revisit that that um, Shazam playlist and go deeper on certain artists. But then again, you know, my, I think my Shazam playlist has like 2,800 songs in it. And 2,800. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Because I, I mean, I just hear a song I like, I just, you know, I Shazam, I'm like, Oh, who's this? Okay. Interesting. Into the folder. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. You know, who's got time to go back and, and, you know, jam on, on 2,800 artists and, and go deeper on the catalog. Just not enough hours in the day. And, you know, we, we are so, you, you know, our, our, as kids, you know, you would save your money and you would buy one album and then you would listen to that album over and over and over again because that's all the money you had. Right. And we are so spoiled now to have literally, for the most part, all recorded music in a device that carry, we carry in our back pocket. Yeah, and it's hard to wrap your head around that. It is, but but it's also hard to go deep and get and and to to get um, comprehensive with artists and 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 albums and things like that. So yeah. it's just the changing face of of the business and the technology that exists. And Jay, I just I'm guessing in the future we're going to continue to have conversations about this. I, I think, think we so. might. I, I think, think so we too. might. Well, let's go on to our last story. It's from our friends over at Hypebot. The Spotify editors share top summer music trends. For 2022, yeah, and, I uh, I love these videos video. that they do. They, they did a really good job with this. Um, the Spotify editors that created it's not a long video. I think it's only like three minutes long, but it's really interesting how they break down some of the top trends at Spotify. You know, over the summer, and it was put together by uh, some Spotify editors, uh, Ronnie Ho, who's the head of dance mm-hmm. and electronica, Talia Cranes, who's a senior editor of pop, um, Lizzie Zabo 
who is a senior editor of Indy, and Genesis Alonzo, who's a senior editor of the U.S. Latin team. Um, and so here are a few takeaways. And all women, by the way. Yes, all women. Which all, is great. all women. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Here are a few takeaways uh, from uh, the video. Um, I'll take the first one. Sure. Um, Ronnie says it's a return to dance. You know, that you know, dance pop is influencing pop. For example, Drake and Beyonce albums are quote unquote brimming with dance pop. Uh, Talia points out that Nigerian artist Thames has been featured on both Drake and Beyonce tracks. She's seeing a lot of Nigerian music crossing over to the global market. Well, and we've talked in the past too about the influx of of music. Uh, at least to our shores, from from regions that historically we wouldn't even be aware of, and yeah. so that's another. When you when you talk about a Nigerian artist that's on both a Drake and a Beyonce track, it's like, okay, it, can you get to big? Are there bigger artists on the planet than those two artists? There are not, and so that's pretty remarkable. Right. Um, uh, Lizzie Zabo points out she she says indie rock feels bigger than ever, but not only is it bigger, but it's bleeding into other genres, yeah. which is interesting because we kind of sometimes hear that that you know rock is dead, um, yeah. But yet indie rock continues to to carry the carry the torch and uh, right. and it's still yeah. around. And we were reading that you know hard rock is you know those are the most loyal fans of any genre. Uh, in mm-hmm. in streaming, so uh, the third one is that Latin music continues to explode. Uh, Genesis explains that Latin music, uh, the the summer twenty two trends include the rise of the Dominican genre dembo, and new sounds that combine EDM, hip hop, and electronica. But as you and I talk about a lot, it's been a bad bunny summer. Um, I mean, his latest <laughs> album is an ode to his Caribbean uh, culture, and as she points out, it's very danceable. <laughs> yes, it is. And I would say it's been a Bad Bunny year, or maybe a Bad Bunny kind of couple of years. Could be a decade. Uh, also talking about a nod to nostalgia, Big Energy by, is it Lotto or Lane? Lotto, yeah. It's Lotto. Uh, Sam, which is, and of course, this is the, the, the tech of stuff. We're talking about samples and stuff. Uh, Big Energy by Lotto samples Mariah Carey's Fantasy which itself samples the Tom Tom Club's Genius of Love, whether it samples, <laughs> covers, or interpolations, what's old is new again. And isn't that really about music in general? This, we, yeah. we see things cycle in and out, absolutely. That's right. And that brings us beautifully into the next one, which is the Stranger Things effect. Obviously, mm. you know, Kate Bush is running up that hill from 1985, is the first catalog track to be added to the Spotify playlist, Today's Top Hits. Wow. That's surprising. Well, yeah. maybe it's not surprising. The first catalog track. Remarkable. Yeah, and you'll remember it's it's over five minutes long, a couple seconds over five minutes. But that's by today's standards. You know, you and I were talking about how songs are getting shorter and shorter. And there was a song we talked about on the show that was a minute thirty seven seconds long, right? That Doja song. Yes. Um, and now you've got something like this. It's five minutes plus, and it's on today's well, top know, hits. That's crazy. And we were. And we were talking about that Arizona Zervas track, Roxanne. That track, which is 2019, that was only two minutes and 50 seconds. I was like, I, I, as I looked, I'm like, really? God darn, I can't believe that. Uh, and then, of course, country music. has uh, Country music always spikes in summertime. This summer, we're seeing it crossing over into other genres, yeah. which is interesting. And you're right, c- country music seems to always be around. 
Yeah. And it, it does blend well. Um, what was that one song I was listening to? Uh, Broke by Teddy Swims. If you haven't heard mm. that song, it's such a great song. song. But yes. it's kind of this newer pop thing. And then he's got a breakdown, you know, with a country artist uh, in there. And it's, it's really wonderful. This next one, number seven, I've seen a lot more of this. It's where they slow down or speed up and reverb tracks. You know, for example, Demi Lovato's Cool for the Summer, there's a version of it that's sped up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about Ghost. They have a track uh, called Mary on a Cross. And that song is slowed down and reverbed. So it's a thing. You know, I'm seeing more and more it's of it. It's a thing. It's a thing. And then, of course, what else is big this summer? How about this guy named Harry Styles? The track, as it was from his Harry's House album, has over a billion plays to date on Spotify. Wow. And wow. yeah. And by the way, that track, two minutes, 45 seconds. Ah. Another short, short song. And it's like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm really starting to notice that these days, that yeah. it is pretty rem- miraculous how... You know, I mean, it was it's just such the opposite of well, it's it's really it, it speaks to the way people listen to music, as we were just talking about, which yeah. is there's so much music to listen to and people yeah. have a very short attention span. And you know what? It's, and Harry's um, one of those artists that you and I were talking about that. Um, well, it reminds us we talked about Justin Bieber, I don't know, last year about a new record that he had out and. I was raving about it. I just thought it was amazing. You know, I'd maybe dismissed him as a, you know, teeny bop, uh, you know, artist back in the day. But that that album's legit. It's solid. And the, the same thing with Harry Styles is I think oh, initially, yeah. um, I don't know, I, I kind of misjudged who Harry Styles was. Um, and then as I got into his his albums, they're they're amazing. He's He's they legit. are amazing with very talented people putting those together. You and I yeah. both heard the Harry, the last Harry Styles album in uh, immersive music at, at Greg Penny's studio. And, you know, when you do that, you can kind of get a chance. You can kind of peek underneath the, the hood and yeah. see how songs are put together in the studio. And that last album and presumably this most recent one were just works of art. You know, wonderful yeah. production and engineering, the sounds, the samples, the the way they are put together, just perfect. So it's yeah. just absolutely, there's some great stuff out there. Great yeah, absolutely. stuff. So, and on that note, Jay, it is time to go out into this humid, cloudy weather here in Southern California. We want to thank yeah. everyone for listening in. We also want to thank Trapital, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. We certainly appreciate it. And do make sure you hit that subscribe button and send us your comments. But comments about the show, not, you know, is Jay single, is he boxers or briefs, that kind of stuff oh, you don't need Lord. to put in there. Because <laughs> it happens, Jay. People Thanks want to know that. about Thanks you. Thanks for that visual. <laughs> they want to know about Jay Gilbert and and who doesn't so on that note Jay and myself really appreciate you listening in today and on behalf of Jay and myself we thank you so uh, we will see you next time next time will be episode 110 thanks for listening and this has been the Your Morning Coffee Podcast and we will see you next time you've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.